let's, let's gather together. Why don't we pray, actually, before we get going? That would be great. Yeah. Yeah, we thank you for your presence. Your presence with us here now. And Lord, we just ask, um, as we delve into your word, as we explore who you are and how we relate to you, Father, you would come alongside and you would speak. Amen. Good morning. It's been, I was chatting to Naomi on the way down, I think it's been about two years since I've actually been up here in this kind of role speaking. I uh, can't believe it, time flies. And for most of you, you'll know that we're continuing our series, Friends with God. And we've been asking the question, is it really possible to know God? To know God is one of humanity's deepest desires, but how can it happen? Is it really possible to accept Jesus' invitation and become a friend of God? A passage of scripture this morning is from John 13. It's a familiar story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And don't worry, I'm not going to get any bowls of water out and towels. So if you're panicking about that, calm down. You're all right. We're not going to do that. But this is where I want us to land this morning. But before we get there, I want us to explore an aspect of God's nature. And I think this will help us grasp why Jesus chose to wash his disciples' feet. So this is the big idea, okay? God is a relational being, okay? God is a relational being. Therefore, we who are made in the image of God, relationship is at the center of our transformation. We are designed to be relational beings. We find ourselves in a unique part of John's gospel. Between chapters 13 and 17, it was just before the Passover feast, a significant celebration in the Jewish calendar There are no more crowds. There are no more religious leaders. It's just Jesus and his disciples. Of all the Gospels, John's Gospel is a true storyteller's account of Jesus' life. And he frames this time beautifully at the beginning of chapter 13. It says this, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and returned to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper. Perhaps one of the most significant meals the disciples would have with Jesus. He washed their feet, he imparts final wisdom, he prays for them, but not just them, the world, preparing them for the coming events of his arrest, their desertion, his crucifixion, his death, his resurrection, and as they begin, the most revolutionary movement in all of history. But I also like to think it was simply Jesus spending time with his friends to enjoy their presence and for them to enjoy his. I wonder how you feel when you hear these words of enjoying Jesus' presence. I know for me it took a long time to reach a place, not so much where I could enjoy his presence, but rather getting my head and my heart around the idea, the truth, that Jesus enjoyed my presence, that he was actually fond of me, that Jesus is fond of you. Not just to be known as, but to feel like a son and daughter of the Father. As we'll find out a bit later, 
Peter's response to Jesus when he wanted to wash his feet was, no way. I accept your God, but I can't accept me as a son and daughter. Perhaps you're in that place at the moment where the presence of God almost feels like sitting down for supper with him. Or perhaps such moments seem like a distant memory and you doubt whether they existed at all. Maybe you're just a complete skeptic about God, about his existence. And the whole language about God who is close and considered a friend, who knows you and delights as you, just seems alien. I'd like to say, wherever you're at in that space or journey, you're welcome here this morning. I'm sure when the disciples look back years later to this meal, they would remember it as a significant moment in their time with Jesus, perhaps in moments of doubt, perhaps in moments of hardship. They would recall these words and prayers of Jesus at that supper table. Jesus desired to be with his disciples, his friends, to be in relationship with them. And Jesus was reflecting and embodying the very nature of God, a God who is relational. Relationship is is defined by connection. And this connection can either be something that is beautiful and life-giving, or it can be something that is harmful and destructive. And if truth be told, it can be really hard to connect with someone, even God, if our life experience of relationship and connection has been one of hurt, has been one of loss, humiliation, and rejection. William Paul Young, in his book, The Shack, says this, I suppose since most of our hurts come through relationship, so will our healing. And I know that grace rarely makes sense for those looking in from the outside. Relationship is at the center of everything. It is estimated that 75% of the world's population has experienced either direct betrayal, loss, trauma or accidental loss and trauma. And almost all of our losses center around relationship. God is a relational being. Why does that matter? It means that God has never been alone. And we are made in the image of God, and that means we have never been alone. In fact, loneliness the sense that nobody cares for you, that nobody thinks that you matter, that statement, I am alone, is not true. The truth is you have never been alone because God has never been alone. God has done, never done anything alone. And this is the beauty of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. None of them have been alone, but none of them have been diminished or absorbed either. That is the beauty of the nature and likeness of God, and we are made in that image, and therefore, we are not alone. I can see your heads turning a wee bit as I say that, and that's okay. Did you know that the first not good in Scripture is that Adam believed he was alone? But he had never been alone. He was surrounded by the love of God, And so one of the greatest lies that we have to deal with as human beings is that we are alone. My life, because of shame, because of the things I've experienced and been been through, drove me to isolation. 
And isolation can look like all types of things. And we can be very good at wearing masks. We become good at hiding ourselves and the addictions we carry. And I want to say, particularly for those of you this morning that feel that, that you're hiding, that you're carrying something that is controlling you, one of the ways that we can break that cycle is simply talking to someone and telling them about it. I know that's really hard. I know that from personal experience. But I would invite you to think about doing that. In the modern world, we've begun to understand that addiction, in all its forms, is empowered by isolation, okay? An ex there was an experiment back in the 60s. It's called the rat experiment, okay? And it was designed by a scientist who wanted to understand addiction. And so he, he took a rat <clears throat> and he put him in a cage and he gave him two bottles of water, okay? He gave him a clean bottle of water and he gave him a bottle of water uh, doused or, yeah, doused with heroin, okay? And each time, every rat would always drink from the bottle of heroin water. And so that informed them that addiction was based on the substance itself. That's what you got addicted to, and that's what controlled you, all right? But something else has happened during this time. It was the Vietnam War, and the soldiers in the Vietnam War, in order to deal with the trauma of their experience, were using drugs. And authorities in America at the time were concerned that these soldiers, once the war was over, would come back home, and they would bring their drug use with them, and all the chaos that that would bring to their own lives, as well as their communities and families. But what they found was, as soon as these soldiers came home, the majority of them stopped using the drugs they were using. And it didn't make sense. It was in contrast to this experiment that taught them everything they knew about addiction. So another scientist came along, and he recreated the experiment. But this time, he changed some of the parameters. Rather than a small cage, he gave this rat a huge cage. And in this cage, he put all sorts of things that could stimulate it all kinds of food that it could eat. And also into this cage, he put other rats, so it could have community, both male and female. And I'll leave it up to your imagination what these rats might have got up to. But also the bottle of clean water and the bottle of heroin water. And they found, to their astonishment, that none of the rats touch the bottle of heroin water. It's within community that a person becomes a person. And this is why a community of faith or a community of family or a community of race, a community of ethnic culture, a community of sexuality matter to us because friendship matters to us. It matters deeply because we are relational beings made in the image of God who is a relational being. Change and transformation will only come through relationship. And this is the very story of God. We live in a world of living systems. And the way we choose to interact with them will determine the formation of these relationships and their fruit. In the other gospel accounts, Jesus stresses to his obtuse disciples that what is counted as greatness in the empires of the world is not what is counted as greatness in the kingdom of God. Caesar and all his successors measure greatness by power. Power to kill, power to subjugate, 
power to obtain, power to exploit, power to control. But in the kingdom of Christ, greatness is measured by love, humility, and service. Jesus modeled this kingdom version of greatness when he washed his disciples' feet during the Last Supper. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garment and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew it was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done. Our God is a relational God. And this was most beautifully expressed through the person of Jesus. Relationship is at the center of transformation between us and God, between each other, and also the world in which we inhabit. Within pain and filth, there is an opportunity to extend God's kingdom through an expression of love, humility, and service. This simple act of washing feet is how the world looks through the lens of Jesus' grace. He sees the people, the world he created, which he loves. He also sees the filth, the loneliness, the shame that torments everyone. And his mission is to cleanse those whom he loves from those horrors. This is his redemptive work with feet, with families, with race, with sexuality, with gender, with communities, the environment, our hearts. When Jesus sees disease, he sees the opportunity to heal. When he sees sin, he sees a chance to forgive and redeem. And when he sees dirty feet, he sees a chance to wash them. He even sees the one who will betray him, and yet he still washes his feet. This is the radical grace of Jesus. And he wants our relationships to be defined by love, humility, and service. Not loneliness, but true friendship with God and each other. Amen. I could invite Dave up.